Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Gopi Janabala Bhagiri Gopi Janabala Bhagiri Yashoda Nandana Prajajana Ranjana Yashoda Nandana Prajajana Ranjana Jamuna Banachari Jamuna Tiram Banachari Jairadha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Gopi Janabala Yashoda Nandana Prajajana Ranjana Jamuna Banachari Jamuna Banachari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Gaur Premanandi Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya 
Naram Chaiva Narotamam Devim Saraswatim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udirayan Nasta Praeshwabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtaki Good morning. We are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 17, Text 38. Sutta Uvacha Abhyartitastata Tasmai Stana Nikalaye Dadhau Dutam Panam Striyasunam Yatra Dharmashchatur Vidha Abhyartitas Tadatasmai Stanani Kalaye Dadhau Dutam Panam Striyasunam Yatra Adharma Yatra Dharmaschatur Vidham. Please chant. Sutta Uvacha Abhyartitastada Tasmai Sanani Kalaye Dadhau. Yutam Panam Sunā Yatra Dharmaschatur Vidham Sutta Uvacca Abhyartitastadatasmai Stanani Kalaye Dadhau Yutam Panam Sriyasuna Yatra Dharmaschatur Vidham Sutta Uvacham Abhyartitas Tadatas Mai Stanani Kalaye Dadhau Undutam panam striyasunam Yatra dharmas chatur vidham Ladies? Sutta uvacham Yadvidatitastadatasmai Sanani Kalaye Dadhau Yutam Banam Sriyasuna Yatra Dharmaschatur Vidha Sutta Uvacham Abhyartitastadatasmai Sanani Kalaye Dadhaum Yutam Panam Sriyasuna 
yatra dharmas chatur vidha synonyms sutta ubacha sutta goswami said abhyartita thus being petitioned tadam at that time tasmai unto him stanani places kalaye to the personality of kali dadao gave him permission dutam gambling anam drinking triyaha illicit association with women sunaha animal slaughter yatra wherever adharmaha sinful activities chatuvidha four kinds of translation Sutta Goswami said, Maharaj Parikshit, thus being petitioned by the personality of Kali, gave him permission to reside in places where gambling, drinking, prostitution, and animal slaughter were performed. Please repeat. Sutta Goswami said, Maharaj Parikshit, thus being petitioned by the personality of Kali, gave him permission to reside in places where gambling drinking prostitution and animal slaughter were performed report by shila prabhupada please you like to read prabhuji please the basic principles of irreligiosity such as pride prostitution intoxication and falsehood counteract the four principles of religion namely austerity cleanliness mercy and truthfulness the personality of kali was given permission to live in four places particularly mentioned by the king namely the place of gambling the place of prostitution the place of drinking and the place of animal slaughter the jeeva goswami directs that drinking against the principles of scriptures such as the sautramani yagya association with women outside marriage and killing animals against the injunctions of scriptures are irreligious in the vedas two different types of injunctions are there for the pravrutas or those who are engaged in material enjoyment and for the nivrutas or those who are liberated from material bondage the vedic injunction for the pravrutas is to gradually regulate their activities towards the path of liberation therefore for those who are in the lowest stage of ignorance and who indulge in wine women and flesh drinking by performing sautramani yagya association of women by marriage and flesh eating by sacrifices are sometimes recommended such recommendations in the vedic literature are meant for a particular class of men and not for all but because they are injunctions of the vedas for particular types of persons such activities by the pravrutas are not considered adharma one's man's one man's food may be poison for others similarly what is recommended for those in the mode of ignorance 
may be poison for those in the mode of goodness. Srila Jiva Goswami Prabhu therefore affirms that recommendations in the scriptures for a certain class of men are never to be considered a dharma or, or irreligious. But such activities are factually a dharma and they are never to be encouraged. The recommendations in the scriptures are not meant for the encouragement of such a dharma, but for regulating the necessary a dharma gradually toward the path of dharma. Following in the footsteps of Maharaj Parikshit, it is the duty of all executive heads of states to see that the principles of religion, namely austerity, cleanliness, mercy and truthfulness are established in the state, and that the principles of irreligion, namely pride, illicit female association or prostitution, intoxication and falsity are checked by all means. And to make the best use of a, of a bad bargain, the personality of Kali may be transferred to places of gambling, drinking, prostitution and slaughterhouses, if there are any places like that. Those who are addicted to these irreligious habits may be regulated by the injunctions of the scriptures. In no circumstances should they be encouraged by any state. In other words, the state should categorically stop all sorts of gambling, drinking, prostitution and falsity. The state which wants to eradicate corruption by majority may introduce the principles of religion in the following manner. One, to compulsory fasting days in a month. Two compulsory fasting days in a month, if not more, austerity. Even from the economic point of view, two such two fasting days in a month in the state will save tons of food and the system will also act very favorably on the general health of the citizens. Second, there must be compulsory marriage of young boys and girls attaining 24 years of age and 16 years of age respectively. There is no harm in co-education in the schools and colleges, provided the boys and girls are duly married. And in case there is any intimate connection between a male and female student, they should be married properly without illicit relation. The Divorce Act is encouraging prostitution, and this should be abolished. Third, the citizens of the state must give in charity up to 50% of their income for the purpose of creating a spiritual atmosphere in the state or in human society, both individually and collectively. They should preach the principles of Bhagavatam by A. Karma Yoga or doing everything for the satisfaction of the Lord, B. Regular hearing of the Srimad Bhagavatam from authorized persons or realized souls, C chanting of the glories of the Lord congregationally at home or at places of worship, d. render all kinds of service to Bhagavatas, engage in preaching Srimad Bhagavatam, and e. residing in a place where the atmosphere is saturated with God-consciousness. If the state is regulated by the above process, naturally there will be God-consciousness everywhere. Gambling of all description even speculative business enterprise, is considered to be degrading. And when gambling is encouraged in the state, there is a complete disappearance of truthfulness. Allowing young boys and girls to remain unmarried more than the above-mentioned ages and licensing animal slaughterhouses of all description 
should be at once prohibited. The flesh eaters may be allowed to take flesh as mentioned in the scriptures and not, and not otherwise. Intoxication of all description, even smoking cigarettes, chewing tobacco or drinking of tea must be prohibited. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Everyone here familiar with Alachua? Alachua is the biggest Hare Krishna community in Eastern North America, about a thousand devotees. So Gainesville is a city of 200,000. Alachua is a suburb of Gainesville, and a suburb of Alachua is called La Crosse. La Crosse, Florida is the smallest municipality in the state of Florida. A few years ago, I was living there, and I went across the street from my house to City Hall to get some paperwork, and the, the lady looked up and said, would you like to be on the city council? We have an opening. Apparently, since I was breathing and had a pulse, I was eligible. So I joined the city council and got an experience of working in government in the United States. It was an interesting experience. I took it seriously, tried to learn. And then after some time, there was an election. Uh, every council member had to be reelected every few, couple of years. So the uh, other person running for the seat was a covert member of the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, it was a close race. Uh, I ended up losing by one vote. If my wife had voted for me, I would have won. But um, that experience of government gave me a little more perspective on what Srila Prabhupada is talking about here. Um, of course, Prabhupada is writing this purport in 1962, Vrindavan as a sannyasi, and uh, looking at the government of India, which still had some vestiges of Vedic values. Uh, in fact, in India, certain states, even now, prohibit uh, cow slaughter. Right? It fluctuates. But um, the idea is government uh, can guide people or even impose religious values on others. This was Prabhupada's. Uh, point in this purport. He's writing about a time when Maharaj Parikshit was the unquestioned monarch of the entire world. He had, Maharaj Parikshit had gone out and conquered all directions, addressed any insubordination, brought everybody to, uh, to bow before the throne of the Pandavas, which he so ably represented. And so, the idea of government being in a position to make a, a proclamation like this was tenable. He was approached by Kali. Of course, he caught Kali beating a cow. And this was just unimaginable and never before seen. And he was furious. He was prepared to kill him when Kali submitted. Look, I'm taking shelter of you. I submit so, being a righteous king, Parikshit Maharaj could not kill him. So, he, he agreed to spare his life. But then Kali is very shrewd. And he said, well, I, I need to live somewhere. Where shall I live? 
And so here is his reply. You can live wherever there is gambling, drinking, prostitution, and animal slaughter. Well, as we'll see in the subsequent verses, Kali was, again, very shrewd. He said, he'll say, Maharaj, there's no place in your kingdom where these things are going on. So, at this junction in the narration, we're just looking at this particular um, admonition by the king. You are able to live in these places. I'll allow you to live in my kingdom. Of course, Maharaj Pariksit did not want Kali to live in his kingdom anywhere. Therefore, he gave him this, uh, this oxymoronic uh, <laughs> assignment, you know, this blessing. Yes, you can live wherever these things are going on, knowing full well they did not exist. So fast forward to today, and of course these activities are all going on everywhere. In Florida, the, some years ago, the government, um, for example, began sponsoring uh, gambling in the form of a lottery. So the advertisement for the lottery is, we're going to uh, raise so much money for education by the lottery. So everybody buy tickets and you'll be supporting education. Even today they, they advertise like that. But what really happened was when the money started coming in from the lottery, the money that had formerly gone to education started going somewhere else. So it was no increase whatsoever for the education budget, just a way for the state to make money off these illicit activities. What is it? What is the harm with gambling? Well, of course, it destroys us, uh, honesty, and it uh, is, can be an addictive behavior for people. I was just talking with some friends who had to change planes on Southwest in Las Vegas, and they, as they got off, they were stunned to see big rows of slot machines in the airport. Just between planes, people could gamble. Not a moment could, go, could be wasted there in that very desolate state where it's hard to grow anything or produce much, they make their money through the gambling revenues. Um, and prostitution as well. So uh, drinking, of course, to only in the most extreme governments in the world would intoxications be disallowed, extreme by modern standards. Um, Saudi Arabia, for example... Uh, these drinking is not allowed. The very this where Sharia law or the uh, Orthodox Muslim law is enforced, then intoxication is banned. In the 1920s, the United States government attempted to ban drinking, uh, and of course, it led to a huge growth in the underground crime syndicate. People would brew it in their homes and sell it. People would smuggle it in from Canada. Uh, secret places called speakeasies were established where people could drink. And there was really uh, very little change in the people's behavior, just more pressure on the government to try to force a law that nobody really wanted to observe. So the, eventually that uh, constitutional amendment, if you can believe it, the constitutional amendment pro- prohibiting alcohol was overridden with another amendment. So look at the incredible damage that alcohol does to people's lives. Just look at the incredible damage alcohol does to people's bodies, families, and and the the costs, the the social ruin. And yet people want it, so the government provides it. Um, 
Similarly, animal slaughter is mentioned in India. In some places, is prohibited. But imagine if it was uh, even threatened or challenged in a country like ours. Uh, people would just be furious. They would rebel. It would be unimaginable. Uh, in, uh, sometimes in Florida, when I'm driving south, I'll see a big, there's a big billboard in the beef eating section or beef production section of the state saying, with a big picture of a steak, it says, this is what v- vegans eat when they cheat. As if it's such a great austerity to stay away from meat. Who, who could possibly really want to do it? So the, the dictates of these sorts of prohibitions, even though Prabhupada is visualizing there and is supporting them there, in practice at this time are, are virtually out of the question. Even if they are uh, <clears throat> they are proscribed, people will not observe it. And thus, there is, uh, the foundational problem is not being addressed. One very vivid example in our modern, in, in our contemporary setting is abortion. So for decades, abortion was uh, constitutionally permitted, and then it was pro- recently prohibited, as you know. Uh, the initial steps towards its prohibition. So abortion has a very interesting history. Of course, it's a horrific thing. It's an abominable thing. But the, the history of abortion is, is politically is, a, is an example of the point I'd like to make in this class. That is, initially in the 70s, 60s, 70s, when, when the, uh, uh, the Roe versus Wade uh, decision was passed, the it was passed by the Republican Party. It was passed by very conservative judges because they believed in the individual choice that people should have. They felt that is the foundation of, of American culture. So they were uh, in favor. They, they passed it. But then some 10, 20 years later, the uh, very religious conservative side of the American populace was looking for an issue to galvanize their votes behind the conservative party. So they struck on this idea, okay, now we're going to go against abortion. Because abortion is uh, irreligious. And therefore, if you're a religious person, you should be against abortion. And they were very very successful. The the movement, the anti-abortion movement, gained uh, great uh, support, pro-life movement. So the, the one party that initially supported it later turned against it, and the party that was neutral about it turned in favor of it. So all these political machinations are going on to this day. So what is the problem uh, with pro-life or pro-choice? What is the problem with either stand? Anyone, just shout it out. <laughs> It's dealing with what? What? Dealing with the body, yes, but it's dealing with, as far as the problem of abortion is concerned, it's just dealing with symptom. Yeah, it's a band-aid. It's symptom management, whether it's pro or anti. What the real problem is that people have no taste for spiritual life. Therefore, they, uh, therefore we do things which are, that make no sense. 
uh, and, and are destructive for ourselves and for others, just for the sake of some sense gratification. So there's, there's symptom management only, and not getting to the root of the problem. So for the, the idea, therefore, that, that government can dictate morality is always going to be plagued with the same problem. Unless you have this um, system of a rajarshi, of a, of a religious, spiritually enlightened monarch who has absolute authority, that system can work. Then the state can reasonably dictate, okay, can you imagine? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have two compulsory fasting days a month. <laughs> By law, everyone must observe a codice. Uh, and every boy and girl must be married. Boys no older than 24, girls no older than 16. It is a law. I know a lot of parents who would like that law. <laughs> but can you imagine uh, a political party in America coming out? This is our platform. <laughs> um, <clears throat> This, of course, oh, oh yes, and citizens must give in charity 50% to brahminical purposes. This is going to be our tax pro- program, 50%, and, and it's all going to be used for creating a spiritual atmosphere in the society. Now, we think of these things in our context of d- democracy as just absurd, but you can see this is a strategy that actually addresses the root problem of issues such as abortion and these other things. Be lacking any sort of taste for spirituality, any knowledge, any taste, people will naturally gravitate towards prostitution, gambling, drinking, and so and animal slaughter. So Vishaya Vinivartante Nira Harasya Dehinam. So Varjam Rasopyasya Param Drishtva Nivartante. These destructive, just devastating social practices will continue until people get a higher taste. So when we look at our existential situation in our sangha, it seems we have this rather impossible task before us. <laughs> We're advocating <clears throat> these things, which actually address the root cause of the problems, and people think it is just crazy. We don't live in a, a rajarshi-led monarchy. We live in a democracy. And it's said of democracy that it's the worst form of government except all others. Um, And indeed, except for the uh, essentially dictatorship by a religious king, there's a lot of truth in that statement. At least there is some semblance of equity in society, in a democracy. At least there is some value on the individual, however minute. Of course, Prabhupada was very critical of democracies. He called it demon crazy, right? That uh, you should give every fool a vote, they will elect another fool. And this, this happens all the time. Very unqualified people uh, are, are elected and all sorts of anomalies result. But the point is that if we want to implement the kind of things that would be good for society, we have very little power in a democracy to do so. Once Srila Prabhupada was speaking with Rabindra Sarup Prabhu, 
And he was saying, when our Krishna consciousness movement becomes very big, then we will have an army, and we will, and, and the soldiers will tell people to chant Hare Krishna. He was, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Um, could we impose Krishna consciousness on others? Well, that is very questionable. It's the same kind of thing that we, we saw in um, in the prohibition or in Roe versus Wade. You know, to try to impose morality one way or another, it doesn't really change the hearts of people, does it? So, what changes the heart is the is the knowledge of Srimad Bhagavatam the practices of bhakti, these, then the heart can actually change. Then society can actually change from the ground up, not from the top down. Uh, so there is so much to be said about this vast subject you know, of politics and religion. But I just wanted to bring up these, these few points that our basic pursuit in Krishna consciousness is our own purification. Actually, that we control. We cannot impose our values on others, but we can demonstrate their value in our own lives. Yad yad our charity us. Whatever great people perform, common people will follow. Uh, morality cannot be imposed, just like Krishna does not impose upon us that we have to love him. It, it wouldn't work if we tried. If, if, he, he, if he said, I'm God, and you're my part and parcel, so you're going to love me. Uh, then what would be the meaning of that love? It would be worthless. It would be meaningless. It would be imposed. It might be observed superficially, but in the heart there would be no change. So that is our, our responsibility, our free will, to choose whether or not to direct our attention and our affection towards our Creator. That is the way that we can influence society. What we do is much more important than what we say. And this is why taking up spiritual life puts a lot of responsibility on us, that uh, people think of spiritualists as hypocrites. They, they are looking for any little fault. Why? Because that exonerates them from having to follow any religion themselves. <clears throat> I don't know if you realize that America is seen as a very religious country around the world in the rest of the developed world. Did you know that? Uh, in, in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe, they look at America like these super religious fanatics. Uh, and in these parts of the world, the churches are just uh, evaporating and, and uh, emptying out. So it's, it's considered very uh, backwards to believe in God in, in, more, in, in much of the rest of the developed world, even just to believe in God. Devamrita Maharaj, uh, when preaching in Australia and New Zealand, has to very scrupulously avoid the word God in his lectures. He has to say the absolute, the supreme, the ultimate. He's learned by experience, as soon as you say God, people shut down. Uh, so... Similarly, at, at uh, universities, for example, the, the idea of separation of church and state has become prominent to the point where you cannot have any sort of religious teaching associated with a state university. 
So I don't know if this is true here. In, in University of Florida, there's a big uh, building with a big tower that was obviously built as a church maybe 100 years ago or more. Be- big, beautiful building. But the uh, subsequent secularization of society meant that the university said, okay, no, we can no longer hold religious services. This is going to be a university auditorium, so they call it now, the university auditorium. You go in, it's obviously a church, but no, no religious services are held there. Uh, so a retiring professor at the university lamented how taking religion out of educational experience had corrupted the morals and integrity of the students. He, he felt that even when religion was just sort of a value or acceptable and practiced on campus, the students were more upright. But when it left, then the university became most famous as being a party school. But I especially saw this in New Zealand. I visited some years ago and was just stunned to learn that how after the demise of religion in that society, people have the most incredibly loose moral standards. I could not just could not believe. Uh, Maharaj was telling me that so for a a family that's considered cultured, if they have a 13-year-old girl and she has a 14-year-old boyfriend, the family will invite the boyfriend to come and live with their daughter. They teach them contraception, and then they just live in the house. And this is considered enlightened, it's considered moral, it's considered uh, progressive. And this is how the kids grow up. They grow up just with no restrictions on their sexual association from the youngest age. You can just imagine. So when Maharaj began, started his ashrams there in, in New Zealand, he had to put the ladies' ashram several miles from the men's ashram. <laughs> it could not be in any sort of close proximity because of the way the kids had been brought up. So when, when spirituality, even in its rudimentary forms, such as in, in contemporary Judeo-Christian. And when that's extracted, then there is no meaning of morality in society. It gets down to our basic philosophy. If your purpose in life is enjoying your body, then grab all the enjoyment you can, as much as you can, as fast as you can. And that is the ethic that drives people's lives. So in our Krishna consciousness movement, even though we're a tiny, insignificant minority of, of the population, we have a powerful message just by our lives and our practice. We actually address these social ills that come out of illicit sex, intoxication, gambling, and meeting. We show that not only you can live without these things, but you can live much better. You can live much better without them. How many physical and mental and emotional problems are just avoided by the four regulative principles? It's, it's so simple. So we should not be naive to think that we're going to be in a government that can impose these things. Even if we had government power in a democracy, we cannot impose any of the regulative principles and expect people to observe them. You know, that's a fantasy. The only thing that will get, uh, will popularize them is the activities of the devotees. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishnadas Kaviraj says that the Principles of religion are not are established not by logic and debate, but by the behavior of the devotees, by the activities of the devotees. 
So although that makes us in one sense very insignificant, individually it should make us very empowered that what we are doing in the world is making a difference. If the odds seem immense, (laughs) just imagine how immense the odds were against Srila Prabhupada. For for him to uh, come to this country at such an advanced age with no financial backing, uh, he was laughing once and saying, he thought when I get off the boat and tell them about the regulative principles, they will say, you please go home. And he said, I could have millions of followers if I just eliminated these regulative principles. <laughs> you know, there's, there's lots of secular kirtan out there. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Bo. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> that would not change the hearts of the practitioner. You know, it is, I mean, chanting Hare Krishna is absolute. And it, it eliminates more sinful activities and more sinful reactions than we can possibly commit just saying it one time. Hare Krishna. Say it, everyone. (laughs) There you go. Completely gone. (laughs) What is the problem? Start doing them all over again. (laughs) Uh, If we are not acting for Krishna, then everything we do is implicating us in more sinful reactions. Therefore, as Prabhupada said here, this would be another compulsory uh, dictate from the state that uh, the spiritualist should teach karma yoga, or doing everything for the satisfaction of the Lord. So the point is, uh, chanting Hare Krishna and following the regulative principles, is uh, they, they go together to actually affect change in ourselves and in the world. Uh, <clears throat> Sometimes, one last point, just that these, this powerful combination of four principles and 16 rounds, uh, it, we, we underestimate its potency. We think that uh, it's not working, or it's working too slowly, or I'm doing something wrong. You ever have this feeling? I'm following, but it's you know it's slow going, and I'm not feeling any uh, real change in my life, sufficient change. So uh, we can equate this to this admonition from Chanaka Pandit about raising children. You know this aphorism. When you're raising a child from birth to age five, you give them everything. And from five to 16, you're like a tiger. You discipline them. And then 16, you have to be their friend. No, no second bite at the apple. <laughs> Whatever you've done at 16, that's who they are. That's what they're going to be. <laughs> then you have to treat them like adults, as a peer, as a friend. So uh, similarly, when we take up Krishna consciousness, there's an immediate effect, as described by Rupa Goswami in the Nectar of Devotion. Two things. We get immediate relief from material distress and immediate experience of the highest transcendental bliss. As soon as we engage in devotional service under the direction of the pure devotee, we experience these things. It's sometimes called the Jai Bliss Nectar stage, where Krishna is giving us a lot of taste and it seems so easy. And sometimes newcomers have what's called the pure devotee syndrome. They're thinking, oh, this is so easy. What's the problem with these, all these old devotees? <laughs> uh, but then, Krishna begins disciplining us. Then we get a test. And then all of a sudden, all of the nectar we're feeling becomes challenged. Oh, well, I've been doing so much chanting. Why is Krishna putting me in this difficult situation? This, uh, this isn't right. And we object. And we begin, begin questioning. Is this really true? Whereas there was no questioning before, 
when we're feeling the bliss, when there's some tests and we're questioning, is this really working? Am I doing the right thing by surrendering to Krishna? But if we're persistent, then we, we keep going, we work through that, that test comes, that test goes, and we learn from it and we move on. And then another test, and another test, and another test. This is how Krishna is disciplining us. And he disciplines us to the point where eventually, when we mature, we understand that whatever happens, it's coming from Krishna. <laughs> I'm not going to question it. Krishna has his reasons. Hey, he's, I trust you, Krishna. You're my friend. Yeah, I, I trust you. So at that point, we have matured in spiritual life where we can appreciate Krishna as a friend. Beyond the awe and reverence, beyond this, the um, uh, service position, then we're coming to the Sakya Rasa, the friend where we can be Krishna's friend. And we know that Krishna will push us to the edge of the cliff, and then he'll push us over the cliff, but then he'll catch us on the way down. Having been through that experience enough times, we know, okay, there is no point and no need for me to question what Krishna is doing. So in this way, by becoming mature devotees, we will touch the lives of so many other people and affect a change in their lives. Prabhupada once um, was... Uh, speaking to us in Mayapur, this was 1975, the first big Mayapur festival. Big, there were about 200 devotees there. Were you there, Chakri Prabhu? Not that year? No. So there, there were about 200 of us, mostly from U.S., Europe, a few from Australia, uh, very few from India. We were there and sitting in the new, newly built Mayapur temple, the small one, and... Uh, most of us had mis- mismatched socks. We're in India for the first time, sick as dogs, but we're there hearing Prabhupada. And he was saying, so we have how many acharyas in our movement? <laughs> he was reading the, a verse from the newly published Chaitanya Charitamrita about Advaita Acharya. So he defined, an acharya is a person who knows the philosophy, practices the philosophy, and teaches the philosophy. This is an acharya. And so we have how many acharyas in our movement? He looked around, this group of scraggly young men and women. 10,000? 10, 10,000 will become 100,000. 100,000 will become 1 million. And 1 million will become 10 million. And there will be no scarcity of acharyas. This was his vision. Each devotee would make 10 other devotees. And teach by example, and give them shelter, and guide them to the point where they can do the same. Ten million acharyas. Then he said, I'm, I'm an old man. Uh, he said, you, you are young, you can organize, you can do this. I'm an old man, I have no opportunity. And then in one, it was one of the rare instances where Prabhupada went into a public ecstatic trance. But that vision of ten million acharyas all over the world put him in ecstasy so much so that he became overwhelmed and he just closed his eyes and stopped speaking. It was a very dramatic experience. You can hear this lecture on, on the, the Internet. It was uh, April 1975 about Advaita Acharya. So when he went into that stunned state of spiritual ecstasy, we were all just sitting and watching. We had no idea what to do. Uh, and after about two minutes of dead silence, 
Ansuduta picked up a madanga and started a, a kirtan. And uh, some devotees were saying, no, no, no. Other devotees started chanting along. Prabhupada kind of came out of his, his uh, state of ecstasy and chanted for a minute and then class was done. So later they asked Srila Prabhupada, was that the right thing? Did we, should we have done that? And Prabhupada was, in, he was shy about it. He was embarrassed. He said, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't do that very often. <laughs> so the point is, each one of us can put Srila Prabhupada in a state of ecstasy by becoming an acharya ourselves. And that is very simple. That's another point he made, by the way, during the lecture. What is the difficulty to be an acharya? You just chant 16 rounds and follow the regulator principles. So we should know that's enough. Even if we're going through tests, even though we're sometimes questioning, if we just stay the course, then we'll come to the point where uh, any test Krishna may give is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't deter us in the least, and then we can make a difference in the world in the lives of so many others. So that's our quota from Srila Prabhupada. Ten people in this lifetime, we have to get them to the point of chanting sixteen rounds and following. The four regular principles. Your children count, if you are so fortunate. <laughs> More fortunate than me. <laughs> All right, so uh, any questions, thoughts, reflections on this? Thank you very much. So, we're noticing that how... Uh, I'm sorry, is the microphone on? Hare Krishna. Yeah. Okay, good. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Um, so we're seeing how, you know, this age of Kali is, is progressing and we're seeing the signs of degradation. But at the same time, we've also heard that, you know, there's going to be a period where the holy name is going to spread in all town villages and there's going to be a golden period. So my question is, how how is that going to spread and how does that golden period look? Right, it's up to us. How is it going to spread? You know, in, in a way, Krishna consciousness is more contagious than COVID because it's, uh, when people see the Harinam or they somehow get some prasadam or even just see a devotee, they are eternally benefited. And that benefit will guarantee them a human birth in the next lifetime. We're actually infecting so many millions of people with Krishna consciousness just by the holy name being known all over the world. Right? That was one of Srila Prabhupada's glories that uh, in, in the 60s and 70s, everybody knew the big guru, but nobody, few people knew who was Srila Prabhupada, but everybody knew Hare Krishna. <laughs> so we're actually infecting people with Krishna consciousness all the time. And that the result of that may not come uh, right away in our in our experience in our lifetime, but those people's lives have been forever changed. So how will it look? You know, when there's more people who want to be vegetarian than not, uh, whether they're motivated by environmental reasons or health reasons. Uh, <clears throat> how will it look when when um, abortion, for example, is just seen as an unnecessary abomination that that comes from ignorance. And and so it just, the the whole fight over it drops away because nobody wants to do it. 
uh, or needs to do it. Um, it would be uh, people would stop drinking, not because of government edict, but because they see it's stupid. <laughs> so, so many things like that. Before, there would just be everybody flocking to temples and chanting rounds and so forth. This is why, in this purport, Prabhupada talks about these preliminary steps as being desirable. But uh, that's how the golden age would enter. I just remembered a good joke about this. Can I share a joke? Is that all right? So there was a nun outside this liquor store. The man was walking in the liquor store. And the nun goes up to him and says, why are you going in there? What are you going to do? You're going to spend your so much money on this horrible stuff that damages your body and tastes terrible. And the man just ignored her and he's walking in and then he said, wait a minute. He goes back and says, how do you know liquor tastes terrible? And Have you ever tried it? And she said, how can you ask me that question? And he said, well, if you don't know how it tastes, how can you be sitting here telling everybody it tastes terrible? You're a hypocrite. And she says, oh, well, you, you have a point, Sonny. I never thought of that. And he says, I'll tell you what. You stay right here. I'm going to go buy you some liquor. And you taste it. If you don't like it, then you can say it. Then you can say it. And she, she said, but uh, I don't know. What, what kind of liquor... Would a woman drink gin? A woman would drink gin. But, but, uh, but what if people saw me holding a, a nun, holding a bottle of gin, what would they think? Just, I'll, I'll get it in a bag. Just stay here. So he goes in and says to the, to the salesman, so give me a bottle of gin and a brown paper bag. And the man said, is that nun out there again? Okay, next question. Thank you, Prabhu. Um, so, Srila Prabhupada several times would uh, present Krishna consciousness as a science. It's a science which is not really... Uh, and, and we see that discussion in the sense that you know there's government, but then there's scientific facts. This is how it works. Really, political arguments and so on and so forth cannot touch a scientific argument, at least in the society that we live in today. Um, so you did mention that it is the behavior of the devotee that would be the, uh, what should I say, the, uh, the impetus for someone to take up to Krishna consciousness at the same time presentation of Krishna consciousness from a very scientific perspective, um, all the way down to the presentation of the soul, even the presentation of God from a science standpoint, um, also has its own standing, if I may, which which would override these other things. I just wanted to see what your thoughts are on that. Well, remember that people come to Krishna for four different reasons, right? Chatur Vidha, Pajante Mam Jana, Sukriti Noor Jana. 
the uh, jnanis come because of knowledge, because of intelligence, because of scientific evidence being presented. But generally, people come out of distress, out of poverty or, or, or desperation. That's much more of an incentive, at least for, for most people. Of course, we all, most of us devotees feel that we've come from a, for a variety, a little bit of each. <laughs> but the point is that um, we may present the knowledge and we will attract intelligent people, and that's very important. But we also should understand that people will uh, often be coming, turning to God just because of the utter failure of their lives and their inability to resolve their problem. And it's either God or suicide. And uh, that, you know, that, that desperation is our friend. <laughs> this is the whole purpose of the material energy, isn't it? <laughs> to bring people to that point of desperation. So, uh, if I've understood your question, am I addressing your question? Yeah. So it certainly is a legitimate reason, but it's not the only reason people will come to Krishna consciousness. Therefore, what we do is extremely important. If they see devotees are reasonably functional people, that can be outstanding in this society. <laughs> uh, just a brief uh, tangent. I have a friend who's from a very, very wealthy family, very wealthy family. And all of, nearly all of his siblings, cousins, etc., are alcoholics and dysfunctional people. And when he became a devotee, they were quite upset and quite, <laughs> you know, exasperated. But over, the time, over time, they've come to see, well, actually, he's... Married, he's got a family, he's still chanting his Hare Krishna, and he's like a pillar in the family now. And that, that's rather a dramatic example, but this actually happens in many, many devotee families from the people who are coming from the Western side. They, they, over, given time, they influence the families because of their um, just fealty to the process of bhakti. All right? Please. Thank you very much for that. Yes, definitely, I, I understand. There is the the um, the concern with the behavior side of things, right? and this is, you know, as you said, reasonably functionally functioning individuals. Um, is that when Krishna, when you brought up that point about when Krishna takes off his gloves, kind of situation, um, the it it seems that the devotees are going through more difficult time than the karmis are, right? Especially those who are, you know, relatively in the movement for some time and then when they're going through so many so many difficulties individually um, and sometimes collectively. And so it's, so people look at that and say, look, you are a devotee for so long, look what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to, to, to present that from that perspective, becomes sometimes a challenge. And then Srila Prabhupada, in one of the conversations, there is one personality who's saying, I'm going to write a book about how following the regulative principles is making a person better. You know, he's going to prove it from a psychological standpoint. He's going to write a book on it. And Srila Prabhupada is not completely encouraging that. At the same time, he's not dissuading him. He's mm. happy. At the same time, um, he was saying the devotee, you know, is... He's basically saying that uh, 
So even if he falls, even if he's seemingly fallen, he's not falling down. Because mm. Just looking at the behavior of the devotee, looking at the devotee from a psychological standpoint and seeing his, is not the test of one's Krishna consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yes, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta said that one who takes to the path of God will find that it is strewn with thorns. Um, <clears throat> So your point is, people uh, look at devotees who may be going through difficulties, and very often do, and say, well, why should I bother practicing Krishna consciousness? You're, you know, I'm in difficulty, you're in difficulty, so you know, why should I waste my time? I just want to enjoy as much as I can around the difficulties. <laughs> um, of course, two things are that Vaishnavera Kriya Mudra, nobody can understand the happiness of a devotee, unless they have been practicing and experiencing Krishna consciousness themselves. They cannot fathom what motivates us. But to them, it's just horrific. It's just horrible. My my late father used to say, all right, son, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you eat this? Can you eat this? Like, as if my whole life was just this one t- extended gritting of teeth. <laughs> um, but getting... To address this point, devotees sometimes seem to suffer even more or have even more heavy things happen to them. I mean, that's quite subjective, but it is a fact that devotees get very severe tests. The quality of those tests is that they hit us in a point of emotional uh, impact that is just overwhelming, really deep and really powerful. And... The, the characteristics of that are that you, you can't do a damn thing about it. Right? You're totally helpless, and, and it just like eats you up. That's when you know you're getting a good test from Krishna. And they can take years, years to overcome, if they're overcome at all. I mean, if it's like terminal cancer or something, then they'll... You know, Checking out, <laughs> but uh, it's it's not it, it's those psychological tests in many ways that really bring us to the point of calling out to Krishna with sincere feeling, uh, and this is why, of course, we read in the Bhagavatam. I mean, here in the first canto, it's just, Maharaj Yudhisthira is one of the main personalities. What do we read? Every chapter, Maharaj Yudhisthira is in anxiety; he's in distress, except one. And that when Maharaj Pariksit is born and the astrologers are, are saying, what a great grandson you've got. So after the war, he wants, he's practically suicidal. I've caused the death of so many men. I've created so many widows, remember? And then he's told to go to Bhishma. And then he gets instruction and he watches Bhishma die. And then, and then he um, is ruling the kingdom uh, uh, and then uh, Dhritarashtra leaves, and he's uh, plunged in distress. And then Arjuna comes back from Dwarka with news of, and he's plunged in more distress, and he doesn't leave. You know, this is the hero of the first canto, more or less. <laughs> so <clears throat> we get a very deep conviction that this world is not our home when we receive tests like this. And that we, we get very deeply convinced on a very deep level that we do not want to be part of this material world anymore. I mean, it's no longer just a, a theory. It is from the gut. 
And if we don't get tested that severely, we'll get old and then we'll experience it. The, the, the organs start failing, the limbs start failing, the sens- uh, sensual dates start failing, everything starts uh, failing and our world starts shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. We can no longer do this, we can no longer do that. Right? And that, again, is a tremendous incentive to call out to Krishna from the heart. So as the devotee is aging, the devotee becomes more content, even though the tests are very severe, because the devotee feels prepared. And that contrast becomes particularly sharp with the non-devotee. All right, I hope that answers your question. It's a very good question and very pertinent. Any other questions before we wrap up? All right. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.